Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Excited to be here with you. And, uh, you know, one thing that, that I, I was contemplating over the last couple of weeks is, is how much we love those rags-to-riches stories. And uh, you, you know the ones I'm talking about, like Little Orphan Annie. How many just love Little Orphan Annie? How can you not love that little girl? And how cute that movie was. And Not just getting adopted, <clears throat> that's not why we love it, but, but being adopted by a billionaire in the middle of the Great Depression, giving her the name Annie Warbucks. Rags to riches, right? And who could forget the story of Edmund Dantes, one of my favorite movies of all time, after being unfairly punished and left for dead, becoming so incredibly wealthy by finding the mysterious hidden treasure of Spada and becoming the Count of Monte Cristo. How many love that movie? Rags to riches. And uh, who doesn't like the Beverly Hillbillies, right? Come and listen to a story about a man named Jed. Poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food and up through the ground came a bubbly. Black gold, Texas tea, right? Never thought I'd sing that in church, but there you go. We love those rags to riches stories and not just Hollywood make-believe stories. We love the real ones too, don't we? I think of Oprah Winfrey, and who wore potato sacks for clothes as a child and is now worth over $3 billion. You can like her in her views or, or not. She's still a glowing example of how someone in this great nation can elevate themselves to success. Or one of my personal favorites, I love this guy, Orville Redenbacher. He is awesome. He was born in 1907. He grew up on a small corn farm in Indiana. And by age 13, he was selling 50-pound bags of popcorn out of the trunk of the family car. He went on to, uh, to be the first one in his family to attend high school and then college, funded partly by his popcorn sales. And at his death in 1995, he owned two-thirds of the popcorn industry and was worth about $30 million. Rags to riches. And Dolly Parton is certainly a rags-to-riches story. Born into a poor Smoky Mountain family and being one of 12 children made her early life extremely financially difficult. Yet today she is worth over $600 million and is a tremendous philanthropist, helping children all over the world. Rags to riches. Steve Jobs is another example. You'd have a very difficult time looking up his story on a device that he didn't have something to do with developing or inventing. He was born to an immigrant couple that couldn't take care of him, so they put him up for adoption immediately after he was born. And a blue-collar couple took him in and raised him. And Steve Jobs grew up in his dad's garage. Who was a, his dad was a mechanic, and he would take apart cars with his dad and put them all back together over and over again. And as the co-founder of Apple and the pioneer of such devices as the iPod and the iPad and the iPhone, he died with a net worth of over $10 billion. And I could go on and on all day with these kinds of stories. We love them, these rags-to-riches stories, because they give us hope in the American dream. 
They inspire us to believe that anyone from any background can achieve greatness through hard work and perseverance. But when it comes to one of the greatest stories ever told, the Christmas story, we don't always recognize the fact that it's the opposite of a rags to riches story. It's actually a riches to rags story. And just like in every rags to riches story, the details in the Christmas story, they really matter. You see, knowing that little orphan Annie was not only growing up during the depression, but that she was an orphan and the poorest of the poor, that makes the riches she eventually found herself having so much more dramatic in the story. It makes the story. And knowing that Oprah Winfrey was, was handed, wasn't handled, handed her billions of dollars, but that she had to claw her way to the top through hard work and continual overcoming of obstacles, that makes her story more meaningful to us. And the Christmas story is no different. The details matter. As a riches to rags story, it's important to know what Jesus left when he stepped out of heaven and became a man. He would become and, and, and experience all of the hu human ex experience. He would, he would know what it meant to be human. Everything that we experience as human beings. He would suffer loss and suffer pain and even be falsely accused and put to death. He would also experience every temptation that we experience. But knowing the details of where he came from, the riches he left, they help us understand the love it must have taken to exchange them for the rags of this life. So I want us to focus a little bit this morning on Jesus's birth, his riches to rags story, if you will. What did Jesus leave? Well, first of all, he left his riches. Turn to your neighbor and say, he left his riches. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We think of riches in a monetary way. And if someone has a, a billion dollars, then they're rich, right? But the riches of heaven go far beyond money. Gold is valuable here on earth. How many would like a truckload of gold? Sure, right? It'd be great. We could do great things with that. It'd give us lots of choices in life, wouldn't it? But in heaven, they take gold and they pave the streets with it. There are walls with foundations built completely out of jewels. And not multitudes of little jewels, but jewels that are so large that they can be fashioned into entire layers of walls that go on for miles. The pearly gates, as they are often called, are 12 gates of the new Jerusalem, heaven's city, if you will. And each gate is fashioned from one single pearl. Can you imagine that? How big that pearl must have been? That would take a very large pearl. And you can rest assured that there is no blemishes on those gates of any kind. Our human minds can't even begin to fathom or contemplate the vast riches of our God. And all of it was Jesus's from the beginning of time. You see, Jesus didn't just start he didn't just all of a sudden exist the moment he was born. Jesus has always existed. Look at John 1, 1 through 2. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. And this, of course, is talking about Jesus, and it's incredibly important to our belief and understanding of who he is. God, the triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is one God. We serve one God, not three, right? Amen, I'm half asleep. I don't know why I came to church today. Um, Amen. Come on, somebody say amen in this place. All right, you're awake. Good. He's one God, but he's made up of three distinct personalities. And we know that. Jesus is the son of God, and he has always existed. But God has always, always existed. Because God has always existed. Jesus has always existed. He never had a beginning. It's easy to associate the birth of Jesus as the beginning of his existence. But this isn't true. The scene at the manger that first Christmas night was the incarnation of God. The word of God became flesh. Jesus was the personification of the word of God. In other words, if you took that part of God, which is his spoken word, the word that he used to speak all of creation into existence, and when I say that, I want you to hear me because when he says something, it happens. That's the God we serve. When he spoke it, it was created. He didn't have to fashion it. He just spoke it. The stars, the universe, the earth, everything in it, he spoke it. It's an amazing thought. I don't even know if our minds can comprehend that. When that word that he spoke was turned into a person, that person was Jesus. That's the word became flesh. God incarnate. Incarnate literally means God in human form. So Jesus being God not only had the riches of heaven, but the ownership and authority over all things in the universe, all of the stars, the galaxies, the material things within this world, all of it was created by the word spoken from God's mouth. So all things that were created through were created through and by Jesus. There is nothing that he doesn't own. This is the Jesus prior to that first Christmas night. He owned it all. He was creator. He was the word of God. He was with God and he was God. Try to comprehend that. Jesus has always been. He left it. He left those riches. As he became human. He was born of a virgin that first Christmas night, and he literally exchanged the riches of heaven to be born on a dirt floor where animals defecated. Wealth beyond comprehension to an unthinkable, undeserved poverty. And why did he do it? I want to read that scripture. I already read to you again, but I'm going to read it out of the Amplified this time. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, For you are becoming progressively acquainted with and recognizing more strongly and clearly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his kindness, his gracious generosity, his undeserved favor, and his spiritual blessing. In that through, in that though he was so very rich, for your sakes he became so very poor in order that by his poverty you might become enriched, abundantly supplied. He became poor, this Messiah, Jesus Christ, the God of all, the creator of all, the owner of all, 
in heaven had it all, he gave it all up and he became poor so that you might become abundantly supplied. He did it for you, that, that, that you might be so supplied that you could do all that he's called you to do in this life. You may say that, well, I'm, I'm not very rich. But really, being rich is not only about money. Being supplied to do all that he has called you to do may mean that you are supplied with kindness or love or infectious joy or an unshakable faith. We're rich, folks, with all sorts of things. And it just so happens to be in America, we're very wealthy in money as well. Even the poorest in our country are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Jesus left heaven, the supply house of supply houses, for all of these things. He had left the riches that were so readily available to him there and emptied himself of them. He became poor that you might become rich, rich in anything that you need to do what he's called you to do. What else did Jesus leave? He, he left his riches. He left his reputation. He left his reputation. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and becoming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. In heaven... He was creator of all things. He was God. He lowered himself to be born as a human being. And again, Jesus had always existed as part of the Trinity. One God. God is one, but manifests himself through three distinct personalities. We've already talked about that. But that's a concept that's hard to understand. Yet the, the pure glory of his reputation in heaven. He was all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. He left that to live, this human, live in this human realm with all of its restrictions. He operated almost all the time tapping into the same power that you and I are able to tap into. He didn't use his God powers, in other words, to do the amazing things he did on this earth, the incredible teachings and the miracles he performed. I want you to understand something, and this is important to how we believe in our theology. Jesus left that reputation. He left that glory, and he operated on the earth almost every single time under the same, in the same way that you and I can operate. Now, that's a lot to say. Because I have never raised the dead. I've seen people healed. But I've never preached a message like Jesus preached. You say, well, well, he was the son of God. How could you? I mean, he was God, right? He was God. Yes, he was God, but he emptied himself of that and operated as we operate. See, we don't think about things like this. But he gave up his reputation. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that, Pastor Barry. That sounds kind of crazy. Well, look at what he told his disciples in John 14, 12. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. 
and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Think about this. In heaven, everyone knew Jesus' name, didn't they? When born into this world, very few people recognized him. Even the Jews who had been waiting and watching for him for thousands of years, they didn't know who he was. You know, one of the, the best things, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and every once in a while, any teachers in here today? Everett, I know you're going to know this is true. But every once in a while, you get a real cocky sixth grader, or I'm sorry, eighth grader in middle school. And uh, you know, the, the, the best thing for that cocky little eighth grader who has got the, the social world by the tail and is the best thing for him is to become a freshman, right? I mean, in eighth grade, you are the king of the school, right? You are bigger, you're more experienced. And those young sixth graders coming in, they don't know anything. You are the kings and queens of the school, those eighth graders, especially those ones who are a little bit bullyish and think they got the world by the tail. And then you have to leave that place of honor that it took three years to achieve and exchange it for being a scrawny little back-of-the-line freshman. You were a big fish in a little pond, and now you're a little fish in a big pond. And if you knew someone who really was full of themselves as a tough, on-top-of-the-world eighth grader and then saw how humbling it was for them to all of a sudden be a freshman then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Take that, multiply it by the biggest number you can imagine, and that still doesn't compare to what Jesus did when he left his glory. His reputation, his status as being famous. To become a nobody who was born in a barn on a dirt floor and then laid in a manger box that slobbering animals ate from. That's what he did. And why did he do this? He left that tangible, face-to-face -face relationship with God. That's my third point. He left his relationship. The Trinity can be a very hard thing to wrap our minds around. In fact, I don't believe anyone can truly understand it fully. The scriptures reveal God himself as embodying the principles of relationship and association as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, yet three distinct personalities. And this, this again, may be difficult to comprehend, but imagine the relationship that God the Son had with God the Father before he came to the earth in human form. What did they talk about? What did they laugh about? We know they were together. I think about, yeah, he left his riches. He left his reputation. And he left his relationship. Colossians 1.15 says this, Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, in our image, to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. What was it like for Jesus and the Father to be separated? I, 
you know, they, they were together in heaven before Jesus was born. What was it like to be in such perfect unity and love that they were actually one God? What was it like as God had turned his back on Jesus? as he himself became sin and the very object of God's wrath and died on the cross in our place? What was it like for Jesus to be sitting next to and creating the universe with God to marvel at the majesty of the stars and the intricacies of the earthly creation and only to be bound by human restrictions now? Jesus prayed while he was on the earth. He prayed to the Father. And we get to pray because of his riches to rag story is our privilege, it's our opportunity to pray, but for Christ it must have been very difficult. Instead of face-to-face -face conversation, instead of the continual manifest presence of God, he would operate as we operate, and he would seek the face of his Father. You know, it, it wasn't something he would have had to do in heaven. He was right with him. You ever thought about that? Some people say, well, I don't believe in the Trinity. Well, then why when Jesus, when he walked the face of the earth, why did he pray to God? If God the Father became Jesus, and I'm getting into something a little heavy here, if he became Jesus and ceased to be the Father in heaven and just kind of turned into the Son for a while, then why did Jesus pray to the Father? It's mind-blowing. Three parts, one being. But he left that perfect relationship in heaven with his Father and he came to earth, and he had to operate the way we do. That's why he had to pray. Well, why did he have to pray? He was God, because he emptied himself of that. He left his riches, he left his reputation, and he left that relationship. And I'm not saying that Jesus didn't have a relationship with God the Father while he was on the earth. He, he most certainly did, but it was different. It had to be different. He left the riches of his heavenly relationship with God and exchanged it for an earthly access to the Father. We now have that access because of his actions in this. And I hate to compare our access to God as poor or as, or as rags, but maybe when you compare it to what Jesus had and to what we have coming in heaven someday, it is exactly that. Jesus became poor that you might become rich fully supplied to be and do everything that God has called you to do. Jesus left his reputation behind in order that you might share in the glory of his name. And Jesus exchanged his tangible face-to-face -face relationship with God so that you and I could one day experience what he had in heaven. You know, the interesting thing, the Christmas story is a riches-to-rag story. But as Christ defeated death itself, and as Christ eventually destroys all of his enemies, death and the grave and sickness and disease and injustice and hate, all of it will one day be destroyed. That great and glorious day of the Lord, as the Bible puts it. But we'll, we'll be that, that will be the day that we will go from rags to riches. Because he went from riches to rags, we get to go from rags to riches. And the first advent was his coming. That's what the word Advent means, his coming. It was his temporary riches to rags story. The second Advent will be our forever rags to riches story. The, the, the magnitude of this is, is found in the details of, of this little Christmas story 
about a baby boy being born in a stable and birthed by a virgin. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Angels announced this incredible turning point in history and shepherds came to witness it. It's the greatest story that's ever been told and it is truth for you and I this morning. He became poor that you might become rich. His riches to rags story, his riches to rags story is our rags to riches opportunity but only if you believe only if you believe Romans 10 9 through 10 says if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved my question this morning is this. Are, are you tired of your rags yet? And this life has nothing to offer but more of the same. There are no rags to riches stories in this life that last forever. They're just temporary. All except this one. Belief in Jesus being born the true Messiah and that he was raised from the dead Declaring him as Lord, that's your rags to riches opportunity. And I believe, church, I, I, I believe that there are those in this place today and those that are listening um, via live stream that, that no matter how much you've tried to overcome the struggles of this life, you, you've come up empty. And I believe that there are those like that are like that, that, that are listening this morning and, and that you are ready once and for all to give up those controls that you have gripped so tightly in your own hands and hand them over to the one who can give you the riches you've longed for. I'm not, just, I'm not talking about money. The riches of joy and peace and love and security. Of acceptance purpose of redemption, provision, the riches of, of just having dignity. Dignity is the opposite of shame. There's a lot of people that walk around in shame. God loves you with an everlasting love, and he has a wonderful, glorious plan for your life. But you must accept him. You must ask Jesus into your heart and invite him to be your savior if you're going to let his riches to rags story become your rags to riches opportunity. So I want to ask everybody to bow your heads. If you're out watching via live stream, you're not here physically, that's fine. I want you to bow your head unless you're driving your car, then don't do that. It's several days before Christmas. We think of all the glitter and the glitz and the presents and the food and the, the company and all the stuff that happens at this time of year, the busyness of it all. And I want to ask, can you set that all aside for a, just a, a little bit and just contemplate, meditate on what Jesus left behind for you? Because what happens when you really comprehend that, when you think about it, when you meditate on it, and you start to understand the truth of what he did, 
an amazing thing happens within our heart. We begin to love him and want him and desire him. We realize our absolute need for him. And he changes everything. Grief is turned to joy. Shame is erased. Sins are forgiven. Hate is dispelled. That's what Jesus did for us. And we can't forget that in all the hoopla of Christmas. So Lord, we come before you today and we ask you to come into our hearts once again. We want to focus on you, Jesus. We give you the controls of our life. We ask you to take over. Lord, we know you left your riches, you left your reputation, and you left the relationship that you had always known with your father. And you did it for us so that we could be supplied, so that we could share in your glory, in your reputation one day. And so that we could have a relationship like you left. Lord, change us from the inside out. Get rid of every selfish thought, every selfish thing within us. And God, make us living examples of who you are this Christmas. Lord, we love you and we give you praise. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you and we will see you on Thursday night either here or via live stream for our Christmas Eve candlelight service. Love you. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.